You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. This next four weeks, we're going to start a new series. We're going to get back to Hosea, I promise. But I wanted to think of, of January, a way for us to continue to start the new year right and just understanding the gospel. So it's going to be a four-point message on the gospel. And it's titled The Gospel, It's a Life Changer. This week we're going to focus on the message of the gospel. Next week we'll look at the, its messengers, the messengers of the gospel, then the motivation, and then finally its impact. And so journey along with me on that. You know, the gospel is one of the, one of the most common phrases in our Christian community, right? It often refers to the core of our Christian faith. Um, but we also know the gospel has many different meanings, varies from church to church, based on the larger tradition or denomination. For some, the gospel refers to the message that Jesus died for all humanity, for the sins of humanity. For others, it may, may refer to the general idea that God loves us, or that we will spend eternity with him. In my own life, I became to enjoy and appreciate the, the, the depth of the gospel. And so I want us to, to, to appreciate together the depth of the gospel. And one place I want us to start is with, with Paul and his letter to Timothy. As you know, Paul discipled Timothy and has a heart for Timothy as he starts his ministry, pastoral ministry. And, he, and we see that one of the first things he says to Timothy is to understand the royal message of the gospel. So I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Today I'm just going to focus on verse 15. So follow along as I read from this passage. I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he's judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I've acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, again, as we gather around your word, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to, to encourage us, to instruct us, to change us. Lord, we know that the gospel is powerful to change us, to, to mold us into the image of Christ. So help us to understand more fully this gospel that we say that we believe. And maybe some who may not yet have believed this gospel, that, it, that Holy Spirit, that would make more sense to them this day than it has ever before in their life. So God, do that work of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter 18 about two men who have different views about themselves and two different views really about the gospel. Listen to how he shares this. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prays thus, God, I thank you that, I'm, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week, I give tithe of all that I get. 
But this, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One man in this story has a difficult time understanding the gospel, while the other man drinks of it deeply. So the question for us as we journey on this series is, where are you? Where am I? See, what we know of the gospel will change everything about us. In this passage, Paul encourages Timothy to keep the gospel always before him and to those he's to lead. He wants, him, he, wants to be, he wants to communicate that the gospel needs to be communicated clearly and at all times. So what is the message of the gospel that Paul shares with his Timothy, his dear son in the faith. It's in verse 15. Let me read it again. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners from whom I am the foremost. Now, many of you know that the gospel often is also referred to the good news. It's the good news of what God has done to deliver us, to rescue us ultimately seen in Jesus Christ. So before I want to dissect this passage, I want us to give some background of the gospel. Is this the first time we see the gospel shown? Do we see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Yeah. Do we see it in other places, this good news being announced? Yes. We see it from the beginning of time in Genesis. We, we hear the first good news in the Old Testament. We see that in Genesis 3.15. Uh, the proto-gospel was where after Adam and Eve fell due to their sin, right? They, had, they, they broke their fellowship with God. They're separated with God. And even in that time, God promises a redeemer to come. We see that in Genesis 3.15. But we also see this good news being announced throughout the Old Testament. The word also is used often to, to important events in the Old Testament regarding rules and their kingdoms. In fact, the Bible Project is helpful in, in fleshing this out a little bit. And just a promotion, if you're not in a Sunday school class and if you want to learn about Genesis, uh, uh, Craig and Joanne Wilson are leading us through that series. It's a great series. helps us to understand Genesis and what's behind it. Uh, and also helps us to, to know Jesus in the midst of that. So if you're looking for a Sunday school class, go to the White Church Conference Room. Good place to go. But this is also from the Bible Project. And... So a lot of this, what I'm saying most recently, is from that. So they say when, when, um, when King David was, wins a battle, there's a good news announcement because it means that he's still reigning on his throne. And when King Solomon is made king over Israel, a good news announcement is spread throughout the land. So in other words, the gospel is a royal term reporting good news about the ruler in charge. And while this news has deep personal consequences for the people who hear it, it is no private religious manner, nor is it simply advice. The gospel, the good news that Solomon is now king, is a very public announcement with huge personal implications for everyone living under his rule. 
So as the story unfolds in the Old Testament, as it develops, it becomes clear, as we have seen in Hosea, that kings who, who rule over Israel are, are corrupt and violent as the rulers of any other nation. And this is a problem because God has promised Israel through Genesis that their ancestors would be a blessing to other nations. Like God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I want you to be a blessing to many nations. And then we see in Isaiah that, that also continuing theme that the prophet announced the good news that Israel's divine king, the creator of all things, was going to come to earth and be crowned the new king of Israel. We see that in Isaiah 40 through 55. But first, Israel's corrupt king had to be dealt with. Kings had to be dealt with, which we see in exile when they were in exile of Israelites to Babylon in First and Second Kings. While it looked like the evil kings were winning, that they were running the world, Isaiah is reminding us, no, there's still good news. Israel's God is the true king of the world, and he's coming one day to restore hope to God's people, to rescue God's people, to reign in their hearts. So when Jesus of Nazareth appeared on the scene, he went around announcing the good news about God's kingdom. He's continuing the theme of the Old Testament, of this promised Messiah. And now he is saying, the good news has come. See, he was proclaiming that the promised royal arrival of Israel's God, the Messiah, the king, foretold by the prophet Isaiah, was coming to pass. But what's interesting, of all the Old Testament proclamations of the good news, this was even more grand. He claimed that he was the one who would bring God's reign into reality, here on earth as it is in heaven. And how, how did he do that? Well, he communicated that through his actions, right? For instance, he announced God's forgiveness in Mark 2. But he also, he, he did it through his words. He proclaimed that God's blessing upon Israel who followed him, right? In Matthew 5 and 7, he showed that if you follow me, you will be blessed. See, Jesus said that he was acting with divine power, casting out the influences of evil from Israel. He says this in Matthew 12. He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying, Look at me, I am the king. I am the one that's come to save you, to rescue you, to rule over you with grace and mercy. See, Jesus was announcing the promised arrival of, God, of Israel's God to become king of Israel and of all nations. But the way that he inserted his rule was surprising to the people around him during that time. He came in humility. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, the city where David was once reigned, he did not use violent force to inaugurate his kingdom. What did he do? He said he rode on the donkey. He rode into the city, weeping over its corruption and fate. And then he marched into the temple, the throne room of God. And then he acted as if he was the true king of Jerusalem, disrupting the sacrificial system, declaring that Israel rulers were a bunch of thugs who were leading the people towards destruction. This event, right, resulted in him being arrested a few days later as a traitor who claimed to be the king of Israel. Then he was unfairly tried on false charges. And then the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, allowed him to be crucified. However, the accounts of Jesus' death make it quite clear 
that his execution was in fact the beginning of his exaltation to become the divine king. What happens? He's given a robe. He's given a crown. He's given a scepter as soldiers bow down to him. Now, in their eyes, it was a cruel joke. But in reality, they were watching the gospel, the good news, unfold before their eyes. Jesus was being lifted up as the cosmic king of the world on a wooden throne where he died because of the sins of his enemies, because of our sins. See, the cross, believe it or not, is a royal announcement of God's purpose to rescue his people by dying for it, by allowing our sin, your sin, and my sin to overwhelm him upon death, unto death. But because God's love is more powerful than our evil, he overcame it with what? His resurrected life, which he now offers to anyone who turns and puts their trust in his royal love. You see, the Christian gospel is the announcement to the message, is the announcement Jesus is the divine king and savior of the world who lived and died and was raised to be the ruler and savior we so desperately need. And if a new king is in charge, let me ask, what does that mean for us? That means that there's a new way of life is in order for us. So that brings me back to this message that Paul has to Timothy. Paul says in verse 15 outright, what I'm saying here to you, Timothy, is absolutely true. It is trustworthy. You can bank on it. Every word that I say here, you are to accept as the good news of the gospel. Paul speaks with no hesitation. He speaks frankly. He does so because he knows that there's some false teachers trying to influence the church during that time. But in this short phrase, Paul gives hope to all of us and speaks of Jesus' incarnation, his life, and his atonement. Jesus came into the world, Paul is reminding us. He left the glory of heaven to become human. He did this to save sinners, to deliver us from our sins, to deliver us from judgment that we deserve, and to, to give us eternal life. Paul is speaking of the life and atonement of Christ. See, to understand this good news then of the gospel that he has come to be the ruler of our, our lives, to be our savior, we need to understand that we need to be saved. We need to understand the very important term that we are sinners. Now a sinner is anyone alienated from God by disobedience. The Bible depicts human beings everywhere and vault and revolt against God. So let me ask you some personal questions. How have you loved your spouse or your children recently? Have you loved them perfectly? Have you ever lied or cheated or gossiped? Have you ever had discontent in your heart of where life is for you? Have you loved God 100% perfectly? Have you? You see, we all then are sinners needing saving. You are a sinner, I'm a sinner, needing a new ruler to take charge in your life. No, since God is holy, he has the right to judge us for our sins. But what's so amazing, Paul reminds us in this 
short passage that Jesus came for such a person to atone for their sins by shedding his own blood on the cross. Jesus took all our sin, our punishment that we deserve, and experienced God's wrath that we should have experienced. That is the good news that has been announced that Timothy, that Paul is announcing to Timothy, that was announced to Paul, that was announced throughout the ages, that our Savior has come to be our King and to be our Savior. That is the good news of the gospel. For, for us to appreciate that we do need to understand the depths of our sin. I love what the Apostle Paul says about himself. What does he say? I am the foremost of sinners. He is the worst of sinners. He's the chief of sinners. But in a sense, as he's giving this to Timothy, he seems to be inviting Timothy to participate in that, in that thought. And for us to participate in that thought that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Jeff, am the foremost. Would you say that? Can you honestly say that in your own heart, that you see yourself as the foremost of sinners? That is what Paul is driving at here. See, Jesus came to save us particularly. Becoming a Christian means that we make a personal commitment to Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. We make a personal confession of sin. Yes, Jesus makes a universal call, but he wants us to personally accept the good news of the gospel. See, we're not able to, to receive the gospel of God's grace until we admit that we are these sinners. Because Jesus came to save sinners. What did he say in his own words? He said, Jesus says, I, I came not to call. Come on, help me. Not the righteous, but yes. He didn't come to call the righteous, those who have to get. That's why in that, par that parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector as they prayed, who went home justified? Was it the guy who did everything right and good in his own eyes? Or was it the one who realized, no, hey, I can't even approach the holy God because of my, my sin? Who went home justified? The tax collector. He saw his need of a savior and of a king. So my question for you and for me, do we believe, do you believe that you are the worst of sinners? Paul did. The apostle Paul did. Don't miss the tense of the verb in this passage. It is in the present tense. To be is in the present tense. His testament is not that he was the worst of sinners, but what he is saying that I am the worst of sinners now redeemed. Yes, I am redeemed. God is making me new. But I am still struggling with sin in my life that I need to go to God to help with. Which reminds us that we need the gospel not only when we first become a Christian, but we need it all all the time in our lives. We need to remember the gospel throughout our lives. We need to hear the good news announced every morning, every afternoon, every evening. We need to remind ourselves of this good news that Christ has saved me, the foremost of sinners. Why do I say that? Because we are still sinners. We are still a work in progress. We need to go back again and again to believe and to rest and to Meditate on the amazing truth of the good news that has been announced to us, that we have been saved by the Savior Jesus. See, as Paul grew in his faith, and as we grow in our faith with Jesus, we do come, I love how Kevin even prepared us for that, we come to a deeper awareness of our depravity. But at the same time, 
become a deeper awareness of God's grace and mercy so that we can then respond in love and faith and service to God. Listen to how one theologian challenges about the dynamic of sin and grace. He says this, Believers who are the most desperate about themselves are the ones who express forcefully their confidence in grace. Those who are the most pessimistic about man are the most optimistic about God. Those who are the most severe with themselves are the ones who have the most serene confidence in divine forgiveness. By, the, by degrees, the awareness of our guilt and of God's love increase side by side. A deep quote. I need to meditate on that a little bit more, but think about it. Dwell about it. How does that play out in your own life? Maybe say it another way that I've said it multiple times in my messages. Cheer up. The gospel shows us that you're a lot more sinful than you ever thought or imagined, right? And cheer up. The gospel shows that you're a lot more loved and accepted and delighted in than you ever thought or imagined. Now, I know that some popular speakers say we should not talk about sin. For it will make people feel down on themselves or hurt their self-esteem. But the Apostle Paul thinks otherwise. And throughout the Bible, it thinks otherwise. For the, his main goal in his ministry was to help people to see their sin and their sinful condition. So they would, why? So they would see the beauty of Jesus as their Savior and as their King. You know that Christianity is the only religion for bad people? Every other religion in the world says that people can earn, can become good enough for God. Every other religion says you can become good enough for God, but not Christianity. And what, what if you're not good enough? And how good do you need to be? What if you really are the worst of sinners? See, Christianity then is the only religion that offers real hope. The good news offers real hope. The gospel offers real hope. If we are really messed up sinners, if I'm really a messed up sinner, and I am, needing our lives to change, then Christianity is our only option. Jesus is the only one good enough who could save us because he came into the world to save sinners and to be our king. A few years ago, I had learned of a ministry that this church had at Jessup Correctional Institute. And they developed a celebrate recovery, and they worked along two other prisoners who became pastors. And one was in for attempted murder, and the other was in for murder. These are two men that have been received the good news of Jesus Christ. They understood that they were the worst of sinners, yet they know their Savior has saved them and now are changing them as God continues to ruin their lives and has motivated them then to help others. One has said this. He said, the gospel has given me hope. He goes on to say, I realize that instead of being dependent on things, I need to be dependent upon God for my salvation and as I live every day. This table that we're about to partake is a beautiful picture of our need for rescue, for our need of saving, of need of a life that needs to be changed. Jesus has come to rescue us, to save us, to renew us. This table is for those who understand that, who understands that they are the worst of sinners and that God has come to save us in the person of Christ. Not only to save us, but to rule over us, to change us so that our lives are more and more reflected, 
of his grace and of his mercy. Again, Jesus, as he was fellowshiping with his disciples on his last day, eagerly wanted to partake of this meal with them. Now, these disciples, right, they did not have their act together. They were messed up. And yet he delighted to share a meal with them. And in the same way, Jesus is excited to share a meal with you as you come, knowing your need of him, knowing that you need him more and more every day of your life. So here's this invitation. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Remember that as you partake of the cup of this bread this morning. But he also said, this is my blood poured out for many for the sins that we have committed. That he came not only to die for our sins, but he came to, to shed his blood so our sins can be cleansed, that we could be made acceptable, that we could be made right before his eyes. That's when we come. It's a visual picture of what Christ has done for us as we take the bread, as we take and we drink of the cup. It reminds us of the great cost that our Savior did for you and for me as he died and as he rose again, as he continues to intercede for us. So may we come experiencing his grace. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, that you do a work of grace, that you would minister to us, that we would more deeply understand the gospel um, for us ourselves and also how we can share it to the, to the world in which we live. All of us are on the same playing field. Lord. None of us are better than anybody else, Lord. Lord, we're equal sinners needing grace. We're equal sinners needing a, new, a savior. We're equal in needing a king, a new king to rule over our lives. Because if we are continuing wanting to rule our lives, we will mess it up. But we have a savior and a king who delights to save us, to grow us, and to rule over us with grace and with truth. So Holy Spirit, do your work of, of grace today as we, as we take of these elements. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.